like that. You Hello, everybody, and welcome that. to this Friday like edition of the Logan Blackman Show. We did it a full week. <laughs> we made it an entire week of recording an episode. I'm very proud of myself right now. Uh, you didn't give yourselves a round of applause. I'm proud of myself. You know what? You clap for me. You clap for me on this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. And it's a weird one. Like, not because of anything that's really gone on recently, but I just feel weird. Like, my throat's kind of hurting a little bit. I woke up last night at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I couldn't breathe. Like, so I don't know how this is going to sound by the end of it. I just did a bunch of uh, nasal spray right before this, blew my nose, and I think I'm good to go. But I can't promise it's going to sound perfect throughout the rest of the episode. As we get later in the show, I don't know how good or bad it's going to sound. We're going to take a little break. I don't, well, I don't know how long this show is going to be because I've got a, <laughs> I'm kind of at a time crunch right here. So I just got back from work. And I've got to do another show up in Cedar Falls. I'm not going to have to, I don't have to be there, but I have to call into the show in Cedar Falls at 535. It is 427 at this current moment. So depending on how long the show goes or how long the tooth the show starts to get, we might have to pause at a certain point and you'll know when the pause happens. I might, I might say it happened. I might not say it happened. It'll be interesting to see if you can pick up on it. Maybe it's a little Easter egg, a little, little Logan Blackman show Easter egg. And then, of course, we have got the Buffalo Bills taking on the New England Patriots tonight as well. So I've just got a lot going on right now, and it's got a lot of things that are trying to get this show crammed in because I wanted to record a full week, and I was getting nervous when I woke up this morning because I didn't feel great yesterday. Went to bed last night, didn't feel great this morning, but I'm, I'm functioning. I'm functioning. I'm not sick. I'm just uncomfortable, if that's if that's the way we want to look at this. But uh, before we get into today's episode, make sure you follow Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, you're listening right now, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. On Twitter, you can find me at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram is Blackman Logan, with the show's Instagram, Instagram account being The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, Search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. Like the Facebook page. Check out a few blog posts. We'll have a new blog post up for you today. So make sure you check that out on the LoganBlackmanShow.com. You can go to the fate. You can go to all different types of social media. Or you can just type in the LoganBlackmanShow.com on your Google search bar. And you should go to the website. You can scroll down to the main page. Find a link to the newest blog post there. Or you can go to the blog section on the top of the screen. I think on the mobile app, I think there's like the three things on the like the three. I don't know what you want to call them, the three bars on the side, right side of the screen that you can click, and you can go to the blog section, and you can find it there as well. But make sure you're following all the Logan Blackman Show social media accounts so you can see them there and know exactly when they're posted. You can be one of the first to read them. And then, of course, once again, you're listening to it right now. Make sure you're following the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a rating out of five stars on both, and leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do, whether it's good, bad, ugly, about one show, about the entire show, about the host, whatever topic. Just make sure you make your voice heard. It could be good or bad, just as long as you make your voice heard. That's all I care about. Now, <laughs> let's get into the things that have been going on today and yesterday. So when we talked on Wednesday, we did a whole breakdown of the United States game against or against uh, against Iran with the United States qualifying for the knockout stage. They're taking on the Netherlands on Saturday at 9, so that should be a very, very fun atmosphere. And with this World Cup, there's... This one has been one of the more unpredictable World Cups that I can remember in some time, and it's been one of the more entertaining World Cups because of that reason. Like we said on Wednesday, there has been a decent amount of, like, nil-nil halftime score lines, but the end of the games are just so exhilarating. Like, it's insane. And then today, we had some ridiculous games. Absolutely ridiculous games. So when we did the show on Wednesday, the only teams that had qualified up until this point, or up until that point, was uh, Group A, 
So we had Netherlands and Senegal qualifying. Group B, we had England and the United States qualifying. And that was it. That was pretty much it. And we had to predict, or we tried to predict what would happen in Group C, D, E, F, G, and H. And we got some of it right and some of it wrong. Now in Group C, so this will be the third group in a row where we got the top two teams exactly right. We got Argentina fishing first, second was Poland. This group we got exactly right, actually. So let's give ourselves a round of applause for that. Exactly right. We had Argentina, Poland, and Mexico, and Saudi Arabia finishing last. Saudi Arabia, what what kind of... That was an entertain, entertaining World Cup from Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia ended Argentina's 36-match unbeaten streak and then proceeded to lose their next two games by a combined score of 4-1. to one. That's, what we're, that's what Saudi Arabia did. They were like, oh my God, Saudi Arabia is going to blow the doors off this World Cup. They're going to completely shatter it. And then in the end, of the, after the group stage was done... The group ended up being exactly how most people expected it to be. Now, Mexico's missing the knockout stage for the first time in forever, it feels like. I don't know the exact time frame on when Mexico last missed the knockout stage, but we knew going into this World Cup that this was Mexico's weakest squad to date. It's been their weakest squad in a while, and I'm happy it ended the way it did because Saudi Arabia, they scored in the 95th minute in the game against Mexico. Mexico was up 2-0. If the game had ended 2-0, Mexico and Poland would have both had a zero goal difference with four goals or four four points in the group. Two goals scored, two goals allowed, zero goal difference. So we're going to have to probably go into the fair play thing that we saw in the 2018 World Cup. I think it was between Senegal and Japan. I think I could be wrong about that. I don't remember exactly which one it was, but they had to go through like yellow and red cards and stuff like that. I didn't need to see that. I didn't, I wasn't here for it. So thank you for Saudi Arabia for scoring that one goal late in the <laughs> late, late in the match. And there's been a lot of really late goals. Like we saw the game against Iran and Wales where Iran scored their goals in the 98th and 101st minute. And now Saudi Arabia comes through clutch and just ends the debate on which team should go through and how they should go through by just scoring a late goal, ending it 2 to 1. Now, this is a big try in time for Mexico and the Mexican national team with Tata Martina stepping down as manager, which I'm surprised it happened this late. Like, the dude lost the United States three times in 2021. Three times. And he brought the weakest squad Mexicans ever brought, or one of the weakest squads Mexicans ever brought in World Cup history. And we're talking about a national team that throughout my entire life has, and most everybody that's going to be listening to this show's entire life, has brought forward a national team that is like right outside the top 10 in regards to being one of the best in the world. They had quality players throughout their team, and this team just wasn't it. It wasn't it. And Tata Martina never really had a firm grasp on this Mexican national team, and it just was a mess at times. A real mess. And they came into this World Cup, little no expectations. I didn't even have, this is how we had it. We had Mexico missing out in the group stage, or going out in the group stage. And yeah, in the Messi and the, the Argentina versus Pe- Poland game, Messi missed a penalty in the game. Probably thinking about his beef with Canelo, which Canelo did come out on Twitter today or yesterday. I saw it today and said something about <laughs> he needs to apologize to Argentina and Messi for speaking on a topic he had no further, no uh, prior knowledge of or something like that. Damn near got like 500,000 likes. So I, what is that now? What is this tweet at now? I mean, it was, <laughs> it's funny. That he had to, uh, they tweeted it out. Okay, he had 457,000 likes on this tweet. So, <laughs> I, it's cool that he apologized, but he shouldn't have just, he shouldn't have needed to because it was a whole pointless thing anyways. Like we talked about on Wednesday. Like, what was the point of you coming after Messi? 
Why, why are you why are you challenging Messi? I better not see Messi on the street. Canelo, stop. I love you as a boxer, but that's corny. That's really corny. Thank you for apologizing. I mean, I don't need to say thank you. He's not threatening me. He didn't even know who the hell I am. So, yeah, it was just, it's a funny end to it, but sadly for Mexico, they'll be missing out. Poland, yeah, they didn't play great. They scored two goals against Saudi Arabia, didn't score a single goal the rest of the group states. Like, it was a... Weird game. I mean, same thing where Mexico. Mexico scored their two goals against Saudi Arabia. So I guess it all is the same. All is the same. Now, Group D. This is where we get a little interesting. This is where the shit hit the fan to say, like Group A, B, and C. We had the top two teams right. We had the bottom two teams flipped around with this, uh, Ecuador and Qatar. We had the bottom two teams flipped around in Iran and Wales. We had the exactly right in Group C, and then Group D. We had the second place team and the fourth place team flipped around. And I said this on Wednesday that I could see France bringing in a backup squad. They don't need to win to qualify. Like, they'll go through. They beat Australia 4-1. to They beat Denmark 2-1. to Their goal difference was too much to make up at that point. So they didn't really need to bring an extremely strong squad to the knockout or for this last game, and they didn't. Like, you look at the squad France brought out there. It was uh, Steve Mandanda, Axel Diasi, De Sassi, sorry, Rafael Varane, Ibrahimo Kanate, Eduardo Camavinga playing left back, Yusuf Fofana... Uh, Chumani, Ver- Veratu, Gwenduzi, Kingsley Coman, and Kolomiani. Kolomani, sorry. And, uh, yeah, they lost, which was kind of surprising, but, again, they didn't need to lose. They were already through. They were finishing top of the group unless Australia or Denmark came through with a masterpiece of a game in their last game, but it didn't end the way I thought it would. It really didn't. After watching France versus Australia in that first game, I was like, oh, France or Australia, it's going to be a long tournament for you. It's going to be a long tournament. And then they beat Tunisia in the second game of the group, 1-0, with a Duke goal in the 23rd minute. And then they go in the game against Denmark with me, a casual, I guess, not really thinking about, oh, uh, Australia has a chance to win this game. I had no, I, I gave Australia little to no chance tying this game. I thought Australia, or Denmark coming after a game against France in a game they probably should have done better in, giving up a late goal to Kylian Mbappe in the 86th minute, and you're sitting there like, oh, Denmark should go through easily. They're, like, we knew, we were going in the World Cup, it's like, oh, these are the top two teams, France and Denmark. France and Denmark. There's no way France, being the reigning world champion, is going to miss out on group stage. They're, the Tunisia and Australia are not at that level. And Denmark, they've beaten France the last two times they played before the World Cup. And Denmark's got a famously very together squad so against Tunisia and Australia I was not expecting them to struggle more against those teams than they did against the reigning world champions like they scored one goal this tournament and it came against France they didn't score against Australia they didn't score against Tunisia they scored against France like if you said Australia or Denmark left the group stage and came away with one point you're not going to tell me that one point came against France now, going into the tournament, I thought Denmark would beat France. I thought they could beat France. I thought France would go through on seven points. I thought Australia would go through on seven points, essentially. They tied one game. They probably shouldn't have tied, but both teams going through on seven points. That's how we expected it to go. Denmark beat Tunisia and, uh, and France, and then drawing or drawing against Tunisia and France, and then beating, or jeez, beating one of the, okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. Beating France and one of the other teams. And France, France go through on six points, okay? There we go. Math was not math in there. So Denmark goes through on seven, France on six. And uh, yeah, that did not happen. That did not happen. Denmark finished last in the group with one point. A minus two goal difference. They scored one goal this tournament. 
And that one goal came again against France. <laughs> they finished behind Tunisia and Australia. Australia finished on the exact same number of points as the team they lost 4-1 to against in the first game of the tournament. They lost 4-1 to against France and finished with the exact same number of points. France has had a better goal difference. Australia allowed four goals, they scored three. France scored six goals, they allowed three. So it was, but good God, who saw that? Who, who actually predicted Australia to come out of this group? Who? And then not only that, finished joint on points with France. I would love to shake this person's hand. I want to shake your hand, is what I'd say to that person. I want to shake that person's hand. Because that is a bold-ass prediction to say that Australia is going to finish above Denmark. I don't think anybody... Denmark, I think, was the 10th ranked team in the, na- in the in the world in regards to FIFA World Rankings, which just, again, shows how stupid the FIFA World Rankings are because Belgium's been number two for freaking ever. And then speaking of Belgium, they lost today. Or lost. They didn't lose, but they lost in the sense that they didn't make it out of the group. Belgium, four points. Beating Canada, losing to Morocco, and tying or drawing with Croatia. And Lukaku, good God... Lukaku had a hat trick of misses in this game. Maybe four chances that he should have scored on. Like, it was a it was a mess. And again, like we said last week, or not last week, but earlier this week, I'm not going to be surprised if Belgium is out in the group. Like, we had Belgium lose in the first game of the knockout stage. So it's not, I'm not too shocked that Belgium is not, it got knocked out of the group stage. I'm surprised to a certain extent that Morocco won the group because, hell, we had Morocco finishing last in the group, but that was mostly because we thought Canada would have a little bit more guile in this tournament rather than scoring two goals and allowing seven, having a minus five goal difference. I didn't see that one coming. I thought Canada would be able to, you know, have some sort of fight in this tournament. I, I was proven wrong. I was proven wrong. You think the team that would that won the CONCACAF qualifying would, uh, would not have that toothless of a World Cup? They scored one goal themselves. The goal they scored today against Morocco was an own goal. So they didn't even score their own goal. This is like when Sweden, back in Euro 2016, scored, I think, one goal in the tournament. They were in a group with, like, Ireland and Italy, and I, I don't remember who the other team was. I think Italy was in there. They were in with Ireland for sure. And the one goal they scored in that tournament was an own goal from Ireland. <laughs> I think it was Kieran Clark scored the own goal. I could be wrong, but I think that's what happened. And they obviously played really well in the, in the 2018 World Cup and then played decently in Euro 2020 before absolutely crashing out in the knockout stage against Ukraine. But man, so Morocco finished top, Croatia second, Belgium third, Canada fourth. Just as everybody predicted, right? <laughs> and I, I feel bad for uh, slight for not looking, I don't know, not showing as much faith in Morocco. Morocco's got a very solid team. We said this going into the tournament. We only picked Canada just because of the fact that it was the first World Cup, so they were going to be extra motivated. And it turns out they weren't. But, again, uh, they have a good team, Morocco. Bono and Net, very experienced goalkeeper, 48 cats, plays over in Spain for Sevilla. Atraf Hakimi, uh, Mesraoui for Bayern Munich, uh, Roman Seiss at center back. Then you had Arambat in midfield. You had Hakim Ziyech, like you had so- Sophie and Buffal, like you have these very talented players. Like Canada's got what Davies, Jonathan David, Buchanan, and then who else are we really looking at? Is Canada uh, Eustachio, and then Kyle Laren. Is that who we're considering Canada's top players? But they're old. Like Atiba Hutchinson played, I think, the entire game against Croatia. 
of pretty much the entire played 72 minutes in that game against Croatia. 39 years old. He came up as a sub today. Like, what are you going to do as a 39-year-old coming off the bench as a holding midfielder? What are you expecting him to bring on to the game? I like Canada had opportunities to take the game, but they just didn't didn't take it. Just didn't couldn't grasp it. So yes, Morocco finishes on top. They got two impressive win or got a very impressive win against uh, Belgium, drew against Croatia, beat Canada today, and then Croatia had the nice win against Canada, winning four one, and then drawing Morocco and drawing Belgium today. And yeah, I should have had Morocco finishing third in my prediction. I should have had Morocco finishing third, but Belgium golden generation uh, didn't really do anything. Didn't really do anything. They didn't come away with one major tournament. They made it to a semifinal in the World Cup in 2018. And that was it. That was it. They got, they unfortunately got drawn up against France. And it was, it was long. It was too long for them. And then they had the infighting in this tournament. They've already, they've had some infighting in the past between like Kevin De Bruyne and Thibaut Courtois. I think there's something going on with one of their wives and the other player. I don't remember which one it is. But they've had some issues going on there in the past. They had a lot of injuries going into the tournament. They had a lot of fitness issues. Ed Hazard has been playing forever, it feels like. Romelu Lukaku's had fitness issues. Like You're still bringing some of the old face that you had in the last tournament. They're damn near 40 years old. Like All these past tournaments, these dudes are 40, or almost 40. And you're expecting them to be the same players that they were back in the day. Like In their day, yes, great players. Not, not right now. Not right now. And I should have noticed that sooner. I would have had Croatia. I, I contemplated having Croatia win the group. I did. I contemplated Croatia winning the group. But uh, went with Belgium instead. Because Croatia's older too. Croatia's got some old players. But their old players have aged more gracefully. Like Luka Modric. You can't tell this dude. He doesn't play any different than when he did when he was 26. I don't know how old he is now. Like 34, 35 years old. Might be 33. He looks older than that. <laughs> but they're, they're, Croatia's fun. I really like watching Croatia. And then we go to Group E, and another surprise. So we had Australia beating out Denmark to finish second in qualifying. We have Morocco winning Group F. And the reason I went to Group E second is because they played second today. Group F played at 9 o'clock this morning. Group E played at uh, played at 1 o'clock today. And in this one, it looked like we were set up to have just Germany and Spain go to the knockout stages. We had Spain taking on Japan. We had Germany taking on Costa Rica. I thought these were two win two games that each country would win. I didn't think there'd be too many issues for Spain or Germany in these games. Germany had to come back against Costa Rica. They were down 2-1, to one, and then Kai Havertz scored two goals in quick succession, and then they got Phil Krug scoring in the 89th minute, go up 4-2. to two. Problem was, uh, Japan was beating Spain 2-1. to one. There's some controversy around one of Japan's goals about if it went over the line or not. It looked like it went over the line, but they said it did not. Said a sliver of the ball was actually in play, which they ended up scoring on. And ultimately being the winning goal. So Japan won the group. With Spain finishing second. So we had Spain finishing second. So we got that one locked in. But we had Germany winning the group. Because I remember if you go back to that Friday episode. Where we went over the World Cup predictions. We contemplated Spain versus Germany the entire freaking time. And then Spain comes out and beats Costa Rica 7-0. And then G- Germany loses 2-1 to to Japan. And Japan in that game scores two goals in quick succession. Scoring the 75th and 83rd minute. And the game today, they scored in the 48th and the 51st minute. Beating Spain. Like, it, craziness. So now it's kind of set up to where the best team that qualified out of the group is not the team that won the group, if that makes any sense. So it's kind of funny to look at the knockout stages for that one. So you got Japan versus Croatia, and then Spain versus Morocco. And if you're going to blindly react to that, you'd go, oh, Spain won Group E, Croatia won Group F. No. Actually, Japan won Group E, 
And Morocco won Group F. <laughs> so, so we got the games coming up tomorrow as well. We've got uh, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon, Brazil. And then we got Ghana, Uruguay, and South Korea and Portugal. Again, that game against South Korea, or against Ghana and Uruguay is going to be very fun. Because remember in 2010, Luis Suarez punched the ball to the net. Asamoah Gyan missed the penalty. And Uruguay went to the semifinals and Ghana crashed out. And uh, there was a recent press conference that had Luis Suarez in it. And uh, they asked him if he felt guilt or something around that 2010 World Cup where, oh, do you feel bad for keeping Ghana out of the, the, the semifinals? He goes, no. I'm saved. I didn't miss the penalty. Like, most of the, like, penalties, you're supposed to score penalties. And that's Samoa John, I believe, is the one who took the penalty because he usually did everything for Ghana back then. He missed it. So, Luis Suarez gives you an opportunity, essentially. Yes, he saved the other opportunity, but he gave you another one, a penalty, and you missed it. I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, he skied it over the bar. So it wasn't even like they saved it, if I'm remembering right. I could be completely wrong about that. But that's not Luis Suarez's fault. Yeah, you can be mad at him for handballing it in the bog or right on the goal line, but uh, you have to score the penalty. All you need to do is score the penalty. And he didn't. Tough scenes. But that game's going to be emotional for both teams because Uruguay have kind of sucked ass this tournament and Ghana have been kind of fun, which is kind of what we expected with Ghana. Ghana's a very young, fun team. I think we had them coming third in the group. At least I, if I remember correctly, I could be completely wrong about that as well. But Uruguay have just looked toothless. Going forward, I think they have two shots on target the entire tournament, or maybe five, somewhere between two and five shots on target this entire tournament. Like, they look bad. They look bad. Kudos has looked really good for Ghana so far. Like, Ghana's playing fun. Ghana's a fun team. Ghana's a frustrating team because they used to always knock the United States out of World Cups, but a fun team nonetheless. And that game against South Korea and Portugal. I don't know if Portugal will be playing like a... I don't know. Portugal could kind of do the same thing as France and play a backup team because they got a plus three goal difference on Ghana right now. So unless Ghana beats Uruguay 3 uh Portugal's going to come away winning this group. And that's if Portugal go out with not scoring a goal or coming up with a nil-nil draw. They could allow some goals and lose, like one nothing, like France did. But again, I really don't foresee something where Ghana beats Uruguay 2 nothing, if that's the case, or 3 nothing, or something like that. Uruguay's got to score this tournament. They've got to. They've scored no goals. How many other teams have scored no zero goals this tournament? I think only Uruguay. I think only them. Because Qatar got one goal. Wales got one goal against the United States. Penalty. Denmark scored one goal. Who else? Who else scored? Belgium scored one goal. And Cameroon, Serbia, they've scored one goal, but they've only played one game. Or no, 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 I'm looking at that wrong. Serbia and Cameroon, they tied 3-3 last game. Why am I, what am I saying? I'm looking at the loss column. It's right next to the goal, goals forced uh, column on Wikipedia. That's the same thing. I see Fran Brazil playing a backup team against Cameroon. I don't really think they should have too many issues against Cameroon. I really don't think Switzerland or Brazil have too many problems in their, their games tomorrow. And same thing with Portugal against South Korea. Uruguay, Ghana is going to be the... Uh, is, should be fun. It could be very boring like the South Korea-Uruguay game in the first game of, this, <laughs> of the group. But... uh. Yeah, if I had to make predictions, I'd say Brazil and Switzerland win their games. And Portugal win, and then Ghana and Uruguay tie. I don't know what the score will be. So we got Ghana and Portugal going through, and then Switzerland-Brazil, if that's what it looks like right now. But yeah, oh, the knockout stages are fun. Knockout stages are fun. So for the United States, going back to the States, you know, the most important country in the world, the greatest country of the, of ever, of all time, of everything, 
And uh, we are taking on the Netherlands on Saturday. We've talked about this at the beginning of the show. And if they win that game, they play Australia or Argentina. So one would expect it to be Argentina. Okay? One would expect that. But with all these different games coming through like this, what's to say Australia could not upset Australia? Or Australia could not upset Argentina? They've already been upset by Saudi Arabia, so maybe it happens again. Maybe it happens again. Now, I remember back in, oh, what year was this? 2015? It was the Copa America Centenario, a tournament that the United States, I don't think, has ever competed in, hosted a South American tournament (laughs) because we are the best country ever, and we are going to host your guys' tournament, and we are going to put ourselves in your guys' tournament. A South American tournament hosted by a North American country. Makes sense, right? Yeah, I thought not. (laughs) But the United States was in it. It was after the 2014 World Cup. I can't remember. I think it was 2015, maybe. It was 2016. I don't remember exactly when it was. But Argentina and the United States played each other. And, uh, yeah, Messi scored a free kick goal. And I think Argentina won 4-1. to one. I think it was 4-1, 4 nothing. I know they scored 4. Could have been 4-1, 4 nothing. I don't remember which one it was. So I'd like to avoid that one again. But this United States team, jokes aside, this United States team, as we talked about the entire World Cup, is the best team the United States has ever had. So... I don't think a 4-1 drubbing like they got that time would happen this time around like it did in 2015, 2016, whatever the hell that was. I think it was in Levi Stadium, too. I, I think. I think it was in that stadium. But yeah, man, who says Australia can't beat Argentina? Who says that can't happen? And who says the United States can't beat Netherlands? I think the United States, realistically, has a shot in this game. We've talked about this before, and you can, you can like, I don't know, like, roll your eyes or whatever at me saying this. But the United States have been the best team or most consistent team, at least, in Group B. Like, England might have scored six against Iran and might have scored three against Wales. But the United States didn't allow two goals against Iran. The United States actually kept a clean sheet in that game. And they dominated England. They absolutely dominated England in the game. So I think there's a chance, no matter how small it might seem, I think there's a chance the United States could pull off the upset against the Netherlands. And again, we kind of hinted at this on Wednesday's show. We kind of gave a short preview about the Netherlands. We're going to go a little bit more in depth here about what to expect from this game. So the Netherlands, just a quick recap of what they have done. They beat Qatar, they beat Senegal 2-0. Then they beat, or drew with Ecuador 1-1, and they beat Qatar 2-0. Cody Gakpo has been their best player this tournament. He scored in every every game this tournament. Scored three goals so far. And they're, I don't know, with Louis van Gaal, Throughout his reign as the Netherlands head coach, you could go back to 2014 when he took his hiatus after that. Even when you go to Danny Blind, father of Daly Blind, and see what he did as manager, the Dutch have always, tradition, at least re- not traditionally, they played a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1 traditionally. But most recently, since 2014, they've rocked with five at the back. Or three at the back, however the hell you want to view that. They've usually run like a 5-2-1-2. That's usually what they've run with. A number 10 kind of rotated. Like Wesley Schneider was that role in the 2014 World Cup. Um, Cody Gakpo's run that role this tournament. Davy Klaassen's run that role this tournament. They, they've had a bunch of different... Jeannie Wijnaldum's run that role in past tournaments. They like to play with a back five. They like to play with a back five. And in this tournament, it's been no different. Their back five has consisted of Denzel Dumfries at right wing back. It started... The past two games have been Yuri and Timber at right center back. Then you have Virgil van Dijk, Nathan Ake, and then Daly Blend playing left wing back. And though he's older... He still does a job at the left wing back. Like we talked about on Wednesday, hold your hands up and kind of rotate up and down. That's what the Dutch defense looks like when they go on attack. Daly Blind's not necessarily the most attacking-minded dude as he was back in 2014 when he delivered that beautiful ball to Robert Van Persie 
in the 2014 World Cup when the Netherlands routed Spain in the first game in Brazil. Awesome game. One of my favorite games I've ever watched. Awesome game. Rematch of the 2010 World Cup final. And, uh, yeah, Netherlands routed them. Absolutely spanked them in that game. <laughs> I like Spain. I like watching Spain, especially back then. They were unstoppable. They were really fun to watch. But, man, the Netherlands actually absolutely just had their way with them. <laughs> and in this tournament, they've had haven't had too many issues. Like, even when they drew against Ecuador, there was not really a time where I thought Ecuador were going to steal the game away from the Netherlands. Even though they have a relative unknown as a goalkeeper, they're pretty well set up defensively and in the midfield to where you're not really worried about that kind of stuff. Like, you look at Frankie de Jong in midfield, you got Martin Darun, you got Coop Myers, you got uh, Berghaus in there as well. They've got a very solid midfield duo in front of the back four, or about in front of the back five, sorry. And then up top, you've had the likes again of Cody Gakpo. He's rotated between a number 10 and a striker, and then Davy Clausen came in and played the number 10. And then you've had Vincent Janssen, you have had Memphis Depay, you have Steven Bergvine. So it's it's Cody Gakpo and then whoever the hell else he wants to put up there, really. I don't really remember what the lineup was or who played the number 10. Okay, Davy Clausen played number 10 in the last two games of the tournament. And Coop Miners played next to Frankie DeYoung in midfield in that game. Memphis Depay came on as a substitute at halftime. He started the last game. I don't know if we're expecting Memphis Depay to start in this game, but I don't think it'll be too dissimilar from the lineup that we saw against Qatar. I think it'd be something very similar to that lineup. So we got Newport, Timber, Van Dyke, Ake, Dumfries, Darum, DeYoung, Blind, Klaassen, Gakpo, and Depay. I think it might be something very similar to that lineup. Maybe we see Vuj Vanghorst uh, start up top for the Netherlands in that game with the United States being a bigger team. Bigger than the teams that they faced versus like of Senegal. I know Senegal has likes of Kaladu Koulibaly at center back, but the United States a little more physical, especially in the midfield parts. So maybe you see a uh, Voot Van Horst, and especially with the United States' weakness on set pieces, maybe he'd be a good addition to the starting lineup to go along with Gordy Gakpo. Maybe that's what we see there. I don't know. We saw Memphis Depay and Voot Van Horst start together in Euro 2020 up top with uh, Genie Wijnaldum playing in midfield, but Genie Wijnaldum obviously not in this tournament. Davey Clausen's had a very nice tournament up to this point. And yeah, they're a very good counterattack team. That's what you usually get with a back five team. They'll allow to sit back and they'll try to hit you on the break, especially with the speed they've got. Like your uh, uh, Denzel Dumfries is a very fast player. Cody Gakpo is very athletic, very fast, and very big. He's a bigger dude. He's not like a freaking monster, but he's six four. <laughs> so in soccer terms, he's a pretty big guy. So you can have a front two in the game against the United States with six four Cody Gakpo and six six Voot Venghorst. I don't think that's too. I don't think that's out of the question in this game. I don't think that's out of the question. Vincent Janssen, I forgot that dude existed when he left AZ Alkmaar and went to Tottenham, and then left Tottenham. Do I think go to to Monterey in Mexico? I I completely forgot that dude existed. I completely forgot he existed. Like he was looking to be the next great Dutch number nine, and then now he's coming into this. The he didn't play in the year. I don't know when's the last time this dude played for the Dutch national team before this tournament. His last appearance was in 2017, and he's made five appearances in 2022. Like, again, I thought this dude was off the face of the earth. He went from Azed Alkmaar. Oh, he went on loan to Fenerbahce, then went to Monterey, and then and now he's playing at Antwerp in Belgium. Like, this, <laughs> this dude at Azed Alkmaar scored 31 goals in a season. 31 goals in a season. 27 in the league. Went to Tottenham to be the backup to Harry Kane, knowing his role to get goals as the backup to Harry Kane. And in his time at Spurs, he got a whopping six goals in 42 games in all competitions. 
to go along with two goals in the league in 31 games. Before going on loan to Fenerbahce, scoring five goals, and then going to Liga MX with Monterey, scoring 24 goals in 93 games, and then scoring nine goals in 23 games for Royal Antwerp so far this season. It's it's weird. It's weird. Louis van Gaal really had no rhyme or reason with a lot of these selections. Like, Andres Newport going in over Jasper Silson, who's been his number one guy in 2014. 20, or not, not 2018 because didn't make it. But then the Euros in 2020, and then going out on this tournament. Like, this is a weird Dutch national team, but a very, again, still a solid national team. They're a well-coached Dutch national team. And I'm liking that Newport starting that six foot eight frame. He's kind of like Matt Turner <laughs> in a sense where Matt Turner didn't start playing until he was 16. Matt Turner got his first international catch in 2021. And then he made his tournament, like he went into the 2021 Gold Cup with, I think, one appearance to his name and went as a starter and then left that tournament as the number one, you know, number one for the United States. United starting this term has been one of the best shot stoppers in the tournament. Matt Turner's been freaking awesome so far in the 2018 or the 2022 World Cup. Matt Turner's been awesome. You can say that about a lot of United States players. Matt Turner's been playing really, really well. But this Dutch team, they're going to be hard to break down. They're going to be hard to break down. I don't know if the United States will counteract a back five, but playing a back five themselves. So if the U.S. is playing a back five, I just expect something reading along the lines of Dest at right wing back, then Cameron Carter. Something we saw at the end of the game against Iran. Iran where you have Desk, Carter Vickers, Zimmerman, Ream, and Robinson. And then you're looking at the front parts where you're like, okay, where's the substitution happen up front? Do you leave out Weston McKinney, who's been battling some quad issues throughout this tournament, hasn't played a full 90 yet? Do you sit Jonas Musa? Who sits out? Because he's going to play with a striker. We know this. When, when Burhalters traditionally run with a back five, it's usually been a 5-2-3. You can see that in the, in the Gold Cup. In 2021, there he did transition a little bit to a 5-3-2. But most of the time was a uh, 5-2-3 with a big dude up top. So maybe we see Haji Wright make an appearance back in the starting lineup in this game. Maybe. I don't know. Haji Wright hasn't really done a lot for me this tournament. I would like to see Jesus Ferrer at some point, especially when seeing a game out. I think he'd be perfect for that. But against the Dutch, against a more physical team, we don't even know what Josh Sargent's injury health is. So remember, Josh Sargent in the game against Iran stepped on the ball and twisted his ankle. So we don't know if Josh Sargent's going to be good to go. And against a team like the Dutch, again, with Virgil van Dijk in the back, we might see Haji Wright make the start. And then Pulisic's going to start. We already know that. And then do we see Weah or Reyna start? Because in a counterattacking team like the Dutch are, maybe you want to hold the ball a little bit more. And I think Giovanni Reyna would add that a little bit more than Tim Weah would. Because Tim Weah, as we've said before, is a more natural winger. He's going to try and advance the ball. He's going to sprint at you. He's going to try and take shots. Like, he's that traditional winger. Giovanni Reyna is a, num- a midfielder, a number 10, who can play on the wing a little more creative. But, again, Burhalter's played Giovanni Reyna a guaranteed total of seven minutes this tournament. Because we don't know all the added time stuff and everything like that in the, in the game against England. But he's played a, a whopping seven minutes of times that we can add together. Like we've seen Shaq Moore play more minutes than him, which I don't think anybody thought going into the tournament. Same with Haji Wright. Haji Wright playing more minutes than Jesus Ferreira is crazy enough. But I wouldn't be surprised if Giovanni Reyna did make his first appearance in the tournament, or make his first start at the World Cup. And I know it's going to be difficult because Tim Way has been one of the best players in the United States, but against a team like this, I think bringing Weah on as a late sub or like a midway through the second half sub would be very good against this team. So like if we're looking at what I think they could do, just to switch it up a little bit, 
You got like Turner, Dest, Vickers, Zimmerman, Ream, Robinson, Musa, and Adams, and then a front three of Reyna, Wright, and Pulisic. Is that what we're looking at here? Is that that's what I might think? That's what I'm kind of leaning for towards in regards to my lineup prediction. But who the hell knows? Maybe he does go back to a, a back, stick with a back four. I don't know if we see Carter Vickers play again or Zimmerman because again the Dutch are a little bit more physical than the teams that they've played. They're kind of similar-ish to England, so maybe we see Carter or Zimmerman come back in the lineup. But Vickers played really well against Iran, so that's where we have a little bit things there as well, and I think his trackback ability is big there as well. So I think we might see a back five. If I had to make a bold prediction, I think the United States might play back five. That could be wrong. That could be wrong, and I'm open to being wrong. So I, if they go with a back four, the the con- conversation will be between Zimmerman and uh, Vickers, Carter Vickers. Because Carter Vickers played really well, but Tim Zimmerman has been, he's played well. Apart from the penalty he gave up against Wales, he's had a good tournament. But do we see Carter Vickers? Do we see an unchanged lineup apart from the striker position? Because we don't know what's going on with Josh Sargent. Who the hell knows? Who the hell knows? But again, I think the United States can actually come through and make some noise against the Netherlands. I think there's a chance. I'm not guaranteeing anything. And I'm not sitting here and saying the United States should go in there and like we should be upset if the United States doesn't win. Now, if they play well and lose, then that's a different story. Like the game against England, I don't think a lot of people are going in like, oh, we are guaranteed to beat England. Like, I had a mindset of, I think we could beat England. I don't think they'll lose to England. I think they, I think the more likely outcome is that they draw. I sat there with my friend Brady watching the game. That's what we talked about. And this game, and then after the England game, you sit there and like, man, they should have won. They should have won that game. So the game against the Dutch, if they play well, then my mindset might change a little bit. But as of right now, I'm not going into, like, expecting a win. But I think they can win, if that makes, if that makes sense. I think we might see an extra time game, which I'm nervous as hell for. I'd like to see the United States go down early because it's starting to piss me off watching them score early on in the game and then sit back and then just invite pressure the entire time and play a 5-4-1 formation like they did against Iran. It just it's it's nerve-wracking. It's nerve-wracking. I don't like the defensive substitutions at the end of the game. Keep going for it. Keep trying at it. And I I don't want to sit here and sound like I'm absolutely just berating Greg Berhalter. Greg Berhalter has done great things for the United States as manager. You can look at all the tournaments they've won. You see all the 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 way they've made it so far in this tournament, the way they've beaten Mexico. Like, just getting back to the tournament was big enough. Not good enough, but it was huge. It was huge to get back to the World Cup. And you didn't start <laughs> – I remember doing shows back then when the United States was qualifying, and they're like, man, I didn't think there was a possibility they could miss out on it until they missed out in 2018. Now I'm nervous for all World Cup qualifying. Now, they made this one. They're guaranteed to qualify in 2026 because they're hosting it. So we've got until, what, 2020, 2030, and then we can start getting nervous about, <laughs> about qualifying again. We got a long time. Well, a long time. That's what I'm saying. But if I had to make a score prediction for the Netherlands versus the United States, I think, um, you know what, screw it. I'll say the United States won 2-1. I say they win 2-1. You know what? We're going to go for it. We're going to absolutely go for it. I think they can win. I'm not saying they will win, but I think they can. Well, I, I guess I am saying they will win. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't I It's a weird one. It's a really weird one. I I my mind is telling me they're going to play back 5, which kind of scares me a little bit, but that's kind of what I'm that's kind of what I'm feeling right now. Counter at the back 5 to play the back 5 yourself. Really bold strategy, but I think that's what they'll probably do. Then we look at uh, Australia versus uh Argentina. I don't think Australia should have any issues with this game. They shouldn't have any issues with this game. 
Like, they've had, apart from the weird-ass game against Saudi Arabia, they haven't really had any issues. They broke down Mexico. Once they finally broke down Mexico, the goals started coming. And, like, Mexico was too defensive at the time, so they didn't even have anything to really counteract it. Poland, they scored a little later. It took them a little while to get their goals. But, uh, yeah, I don't think they'll struggle against Australia. I, I think it's been a fun run for Australia. And I wouldn't even really be upset if I got proven wrong by this because I think Austra- I think a team that was projected to do absolutely nothing in a tournament and doing something really cool is fun. It's fun. Even if that's it, if it's at the expense of the team you projected to win the World Cup, it's fun. <laughs> like when Sweden was going far in the 2018 World Cup, it was kind of a similar situation I was going through. Then we've got uh, on the fourth, so those two games are on Saturday. On Sunday, we've got England, Senegal, and France and Poland. England, Senegal could be fun. That's going to be a fun game. Uh, I think England will win. Oh, jeez. I think England will win. I think it'll be like by a final score of probably 2-1 again. I think it'll be 2-1. I think Senegal will probably go up early in this game, and then England will come back and score two goals. I think that's how that one's going to go. Poland and France, I think France will win 2-0. I think France will win 2-0. They're too good defensively. I know Poland's got Robert Lewandowski, but France is too solid defensively, and they've got enough going forward to where I think they can catch Poland napping. Because apart from, like, Glick, at, at center back, I don't re- and Matty Cash, you know, the most Polish name ever, Matty Cash. They don't really have a – Wojciech Chesney's an all-right goalie, but I'm not too nervous about them upsetting France. Like, I'm looking at the rest of their roster right now. Uh, Grzycki's fine. Uh, Arkady's Milik is fine. Uh, Christoph Piatek's fine. But I'm not, I'm not sitting here being too nervous for France. And – this was the problem here. So I had England going to the, the semifinals because I had France kind of, you know, it feels like every like a tournament every once in a while for France, they have a lot of infighting and end up just self, self-destructing, like in 2010, where they finished dead last in a group with South Africa. So I think that I was, I didn't think that that would happen where they uh, fall apart that bad, but I thought they would have a little bit of a, a slip up and lose to Denmark and then lose to Australia in the knockout stages. But or, geez, I keep saying Australia. Lose to Argentina in the knockout stage. But I think this is a very... Um, it'd be cool to see France go back-to-back. It would be cool to see France go back-to-back. I don't know how many back-to-back World Cup champions there have been, but seeing that with France go back-to-back would be pretty freaking awesome. not going to lie. Because their route there is, uh, like, as of right now, so Renner's Group H is Portugal. So if you're looking at the best team, you got uh, England... Senegal, and you got Spain, Morocco, and Portugal versus probably Switzerland. That's not a un, that's not a like crazy task for them to come out of that. It's like the best teams probably England, Spain, and Portugal. I think France can beat all those teams. I think France can beat all those teams. I do want to see Spain versus Portugal to see the Iberian Peninsula battle because we had that in our predictions. Spain beating Belgium though, not uh, not Morocco. But yeah, fun. I like the knockout stage, so yeah, just I'm I'm nervous for Saturday. I'm very nervous for Saturday. Cautiously optimistic for the game on Saturday against Netherlands. But I am optimistic. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be as optimistic as possible. It'd be really cool to see the United States make it all the way to the quarterfinals and then play Argentina. And then beat Argentina and make it to the semifinals. And beat whoever the hell they play. Brazil. Beat Brazil. And they go to the final. And then beat France or Spain or Portugal or England. Oh, meet England in the final. Ooh, that'd be fun. It's, it ain't going to happen, but it'll be fun. 
man, I love the World Cup. World Cup's fun. If you hate soccer, screw you. And if you don't like soccer, like we talked about on Wednesday's show, just be normal about it. You don't need to announce your hatred for soccer. You can just go about your business and go like, oh, yeah, this kind of this kind of sucks. But kind of sit there to yourself. And go like, man, this is... I'm watching it, but I'm being courteous of the people around me. And not be the dickheads that go, ah, man, this sucks. How do you watch this game? Oh, the flopping, the, the fake injuries. Oh, it's so slow-paced. What's going on? Soccer is the only sport, apart from basketball, which is a way smaller field and way less technically advanced than soccer. <laughs> basketball is like nothing compared to soccer. I've played both. Basketball is probably the easiest sport out of like the big sports in America. Like you could be the most unathletic person ever, but be able to somehow cash threes, you're fine. You anybody could bounce a ball. Any like that that's one of the first things babies learn to do is bounce a ball. Basketball is literally the easiest sport to play out of the big sports. Like it takes a lot of athleticism, I'm not saying it doesn't. But you're looking at like average level, it's not even close. I would say the hardest sports to me are baseball and hockey, and then like because hockey you're you're skating around on you're you're on freaking blades, sprinting on ice, trying to catch a puck that's as big as your fist, and then goalie. Don't even get me started on playing goalie in hockey. That's like the hardest thing to do in entire sport. I never played hockey, but I've watched enough hockey to go, oh, yeah, that's that looks hard. I don't want to do that. I have a lot of friends that have played hockey in the past, like competitively, not just go out there and just skate around and hit a hockey puck around. No, they actually played hockey. And it's tough. Baseball's hard because you're going to try to hit a ball that's 90 miles an hour. Your hand-eye coordination's not supposed to act like that. It's damn near impossible to hit that, and people are still doing it. And then to catch it, and then to be in the pitcher, scary as hell. Like, even when I was, a few years ago, I was standing on a pitcher's mound with some friends. We were just having a dinger derby. And I'm standing there, I'm getting nervous. Like, we're not hitting the ball anywhere near as powerful as the big leaguers. Or even college or high school level. Like, we're just, we're just dicking around. And I'm getting scared. <laughs> I don't want to get hit in the head with a baseball. That's what got me to stop swinging a baseball bat. Was I hit a kid in the face with a baseball. I hit a line driver up the middle. Hit him right in the face. Knocked him out. And, uh, yeah, so I stopped swinging a baseball bat. I quit in, like, second or third grade. A little soft. <laughs> uh, man, mentally, football's the hardest. I think everybody kind of understands football's the hardest mentally. But basketball's the easiest, just full stop. Like, I don't really – if you argue that basketball's that hard, it's hard to be, like, elite at it, but it's hard to be elite at every sport. Golf's hard. How many, per- how many perfect games you ever heard in golf? For how boring golf is – Golf is the most boring sport, but you ain't never heard of someone get 18 hole-in-ones. You never heard that one before. Like, how many perfect games there have been in baseball? And you've never heard of a perfect perfect, uh, perfect golf score. Unless Kim Jong-il or Kim Jong-un have gotten it, then, I'd, uh, then that's a different story. I don't know if they've gotten it or not, but maybe they have. But you never hear about that. You never hear about that, which is crazy. It's boring as hell. Tennis and, <laughs> tennis and golf. If you can watch, sit there and watch that, and feel entertained. That's on you. But I'm not going to sit there and go, wow, this is, I'm going to sit there and make fun of you. Go like, how could you watch this? Only say that if you be a dickhead about the sports I watch. Yeah. So just be careful. <laughs> now, going back to a sport that I do watch, along with soccer, is uh, is football. American football. And we've got the Buffalo Bills taking on the uh, 
New England Patriots. The hated New England Patriots. I remember sitting there in my basement at my parents' house back in January, watched the Bills-Patriots game. Bills absolutely rout the Patriots. Rout them in zero degrees. Rout the hated New England Patriots. The team that I, I despise more than any team ever. My, my, my dad despises this team so much that he hates the Patriots more than he actually loves the Buffalo Bills. And this, I, I'm going to try and make a prediction for this game later. And I'm, <laughs> you guys already know what happened. You guys already know what happened. I'm speaking this purely out of spite. Maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. Maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. But this is a team. Now, now the player that it hurt me the most is not there anymore. But there's some apparent rumors that Tom Brady's going to be coming back to New England next offseason. That, like, that can't be real. That can't be real. Dude, just retire. You're playing on a 5-6 and six Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. You're only going to make the playoffs because the rest of your vision's ass. Don't go. Just just retire. Just stop it. Just stop it. Just retire. It's fine, Tom. Tom, you can retire now. You can retire. It's perfectly fine. No one's going to judge you. It's not like he's playing terrible. He's just not playing very good. He's not playing horrifically. He's just not playing very good. They're coming from behind in every single game, so he's got to throw the ball a shit ton. They have no semblance of a running game. And there's old. The entire team's old. But uh, Tom Brady caused a lot of problems for my childhood. A lot of problems. Like, what if the Patriots decided to go with Bledsoe and trade Tom Brady the Bills? How different would things be? I don't know. We could play that game all the time. What if Belichick never left the Jets and Tom Brady gets drafted by the Jets? How different things could be then? How different things could be if the Patriots did not draft Tom Brady? Maybe he just went somewhere else and screwed with someone else's childhood. Not mine. Go to the NFC or something. Why didn't he get drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Why can't the Bucs draft? Why can't the Niners draft him? They drafted Giovanni Carmazzi. Come on. Come on, Niners. You drafted Giovanni Carmazzi from Hofstra, who's a llama farmer now, instead of Tom Brady. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. but even in college, Tom Brady was not a bad college quarterback. Tom Brady was not a bad college quarterback. He won the freaking, I think, Sugar Bowl against Alabama while at Michigan his senior year. Like, it wasn't bad. Was not athletic, but back then that really didn't matter all too much to be that athletic. Giovanni Carmazzi was really athletic back then. But uh, yeah, I'm sure the Niners would have that one back. And then taking Alex Smith over Rodgers. I mean, Alex Smith's fine. Alex Smith's ten times the quarterback Giovanni Carmazzi was. But to have a uh, pass on Rodgers, it's a, it's a tough, tough pill to swallow. Tom Bill Swallow. But, uh, yeah, Tom Brady ruined my childhood. Caused a lot of pain and anguish in my childhood. My first Bills game ever in Buffalo was against the New England Patriots. And I think that refueled my hatred for the Patriots. I already hated them. But being in Iowa, you don't really encounter a lot of Patriots fans. I know one. I'm friends with one Patriots fan. And I'm going to see him later today. I'm friends with one Patriots fan. That's it. Like, I'm not subjected to a lot of Patriots shit throughout the, my entire existence. No, I just watch them on Sundays, they beat the Bills, and then I go home and I get upset. Because they won again. And when the Bills did beat the Patriots, it just happened to be when Tom Brady just didn't play. And the starters didn't play. Like, Tom Brady in his time in New England, I think, lost twice to the Bills. Lost his first time playing Bledsoe. They won, like, Bills won 30 to nothing or something like that. Lawyer Malloy's first game against the Patriots. Bledsoe's first game against the Patriots. It was awesome. And then... In like, what, 2009? I, I don't know why I said it like that. Fitzpatrick 
Ryan Lindell, maybe 2011. I don't remember what year it was. Ryan Lindell made a game-winning field goal. Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback. Like, it was a fun day. Fun day. We were in my Nana and Papa's basement watching that game, my dad and I. Like, it was fun. But then you look at the grand scheme of things to see, like, oh, Tom Brady won, I think it was 33-2 and two against the Bills. That's fun. That's really fun. Or 32-2. and two. The, the all-time winningest against one individual team in NFL history is Brady against the Buffalo Bills. Just had to be that way. Like the Bills were a laughing stock for 18 years. And then now they got legitimized because of McDermott, Bean, Josh Allen, Diggs, Trey White, Vaughn Miller, who just got put on IR today. But Odell Beckham's visiting on Friday. So if Vaughn Miller is as confident, if, if Vaughn Miller <laughs> truly believes Odell Beckham's coming to Buffalo, that'd be awesome. If you would have told me when Odell Beckham made the catch against the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football that he'd be eventually signing for the Bills, I would have called you crazy. I would have called you freaking crazy. Would not have believed you at all. Like if you told me one day when Von Miller sat Cam Newton in the Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl MVP, but you told me that he was going to sign for the Buffalo Bills in free agency, not as a trade, in free agency, I would have called you crazy. And you told me Stephon Diggs catching the music scene in the Minneapolis Miracle against the New Orleans Saints in the playoffs, he was going to one day play for the Bills, I would have called you crazy. All these things are crazy to me. And the Bills now, the tables have turned against the New England Patriots. The Patriots are not the team they once were, and I fear them a whole hell of a lot less because number 12 is not playing quarterback for them. Mac Jones probably had the best game of his career last week against the Minnesota Vikings on Thanksgiving. Or at least one of them. He had one of the best games of his career last week. But is that enough to keep Tom Brady out of New England? Is that it's because there's a report that's saying Mac Jones could get traded. Does he get traded to San Francisco? Because that's the guy apparently Shanahan wanted. And if he's anything like his dad, he'll get the guy that he wanted. And then have the guy the team wanted. So I'll have Trey Lance and Mac Jones, like his dad had RG3 and Kirk Cousins. Similar situation. Maybe that's what happens. I don't know. And do we see Jimmy Garoppolo go to the Jets? He feels like a Jets guy, like Garoppolo. That seems like a, a New York Jets style quarterback. Like Testaverde. That's a New York Jets style quarterback. Garoppolo, that's a Jet. Lamar Jackson, not a Jet. Not a Jet. If Lamar goes anywhere, he should probably go to the NFC. He feels like more of an NFC guy. <laughs> oh, man. But this is going to be a little bit different than the last time these two, or the first time these two teams played where the Pagers ran for 200 yards. Damian Harris not going to play this game, apparently. Um, They're also going to be without Trent Brown, from what reports are saying. Jacoby Myers is questionable. The Pages got some outs. The Bills got some outs. Von Miller got put on IR today. She's out for at least four weeks. Deion Dawkins is out today. So I'm expecting Spencer Brown to move over to the left tackle and then have Scott Questenberry or David Questenberry, David Questenberry play right tackle in this game, which kind of scares me. Kind of scares me because uh, Matthew Judon is, uh, is, is, is very good. Matthew Judon is very talented. Very good edge rusher. Um, just happens to lead the NFL in sacks right now. With 13. And the Bills are going in there with Spencer Brown and David Questenberry. That's what the Bills' tackles are looking like right now. Little scary. Little, little scary. But Trey White will be back. He's supposed to be having a bigger role this week. Bills are slowly getting healthier while also getting more hurt at the same time. Like, you get Von, you get Trey White back up, but you get to lose Von Miller for four weeks. That's fun. That's really fun. But it could be getting Odell Beckham back. So you lose Deion Dawkins for this week. Deion Dawkins got hurt at some point during the Lions game last week, and I have no idea when. Like, they never reported Deion Dawkins getting hurt. And if they did, I completely missed it. Completely missed it. But, yeah, this Bills-Patriots game, it's it's always a fun game. 
it's more fun now because the Bills are the better team. <laughs> but with being a better team, that comes higher expectations. So the Bills are expected to win this game. The Bills are expected to win every game they play now. And the Patriots are rocking their awesome white, red, white uniforms. Patriot Pat. One of the best uniforms to ever exist in the NFL. For how much I hate this stupid team, those are beautiful uniforms. In one of the best alternate uniforms the entire NFL. I don't know which other team would have, like, a better, like, the Falcons' dirty bird uniforms. Those are nice. Deion Sanders' black Falcon, like, the black helmet, matte black helmet. Like, those jerseys are beautiful as well. Anybody else have really nice, like, alternate jerseys? The Commanders' ones suck. The W on the forehead looks freaking stupid. Um... I'm scrolling around the NFL to see what other teams are there. Are the Niners? I like their big numbers. Like when they have the black outline, I like those jerseys. Those are nice uniforms. The Cowboys ones that they wore on Thanksgiving last week, I like those. The white helmets, blue jerseys, I like those ones. Bengals, I mean, the white helmets, I think, are a little bit overrated, but I like them. I like them. The Dolphins, okay, the Dolphins retro uniforms, those ones are very nice as well. So if I had to say like top three, it'd be Patriots, Dolphins, Falcons, in no particular order. I think those are the best ones. They're very simple, but those, in my opinion, are the best ones. They're just, they're just nice. And the Patriots should just go back to those ones. I'm glad they went away from the Tom Brady uniforms, like going something a little bit different, going with their, what, are they, what do they call it, the color rush uniform system or whatever they call those. But just go back to Patriot Pat. Go back to Patriot Pat. Those are nice uniforms. The red uniforms, they're just nice. They're very nice. So if I had to make a prediction, the Bills are four-point favorites right now. I'm nervous. Again, I'm not going to lie. I'm nervous. I don't like playing. I, I like playing the Patriots, and I don't like playing the Patriots. Because when I was a kid, it was a different feeling. Like you have a chance to, you have a five percent chance to win. That five percent chance, good lord, if you win that game, that's freaking awesome. And you're sitting pretty for the rest of the year because the Bills aren't making the playoffs. So you're like, ah, oh, you're sitting pretty the rest of the year. You beat the Patriots once, everything else is perfect. Everything else is perfect. There was a guaranteed two losses to start your season. Like imagine having that. Like the Lions can feel the same way with the Packers usually. I know the Lions beat the Packers earlier this year. Same week the Bills lost to the Jets. But just having that, just like, oh, that guaranteed two losses. It's not it's not a great feeling. But with this rest of the NFL this week, we've got some interesting games, some interesting-ish games. We've got Bills-Patriots. We've got the Brady Bowl because uh, Bills should have had Brady instead of Bledsoe. And Bledsoe was my favorite player growing up, he, or one of my favorite players growing up. My favorite player of all time is Tomlins, Tomlinson. You should know this by now, but... My favorite player growing up was Drew Bledsoe. Chargers-Raiders is this week. Um, battle Los Angeles because the Raiders are the most popular team in Los Angeles. The Chargers play in Los Angeles, so that should be kind of fun, even though the game's playing in Vegas. We got Steelers and the Falcons. Ooh. Um, uh, it would have been funnier if Trubisky was playing. Trubisky versus Mariota. That would have been fun. Falcons play Desmond Ritter this week. Play Desmond Ritter. And have him go up against Kenny Pickett. Like, you were the first two quarterbacks taken in the 2022 NFL draft. You have to play those guys against each other. Mariota's fine, and the Falcons have five wins, which, who the hell thought that at the start of the year? The Falcons having five wins. So, well, let's do the Pickett-Ritter Bowl. Let's do that one. Bears-Packers, the I owe you bowl. I own you bowl. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers say, I own you. I still effing own you. For the Bears fans a few years ago, awesome soundbite. Uh, Rodgers said he's going to play. Said he's gonna play. I don't know if he will or not, but uh, he said he is. So that that should be the game there. Lions Jaguars. Who the hell's watching this game, Bull? I I I don't think I know anybody that'll actually sit down and watch that game. 
I don't know. Think I know anybody that'll watch that game. Both teams are four and seven. I don't think anybody cares. Jets, Vikings, Sauce versus Jets. The Jets Bowl. Oh, Justin Jefferson's nickname's Jets. So Jets Bowl. Yeah, that one works. Commanders and Giants. The who the hell thought we'd have seven wins at the start of the year bowl? Who thought these two, like in the whole season? Let alone in what week is this? Week 13 that these teams would have seven wins? Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Titans and Eagles. Uh, what could this one be? Titans and Eagles. I don't know. I'm try- I don't really know what this one would be. Like, it's just the... It's two good teams. Two good teams. The run-heavy bowl, because the Eagles and Falcons are both run-heavy teams, or Eagles and Titans are both run-heavy teams. Is that lame? Yeah, it probably is. But that's how, that's how I feel about the game. Broncos-Ravens. Oh, man. Um, the we're kind of pissed off bowl. Different reasons. Different reasons. Because the Ravens are pissed off because they lost four games that they were winning pretty big in the fourth quarter. They were winning 20-3 to at halftime against the Bills. I still have that screenshot. Of their of their game so far this season. Where's that? Yeah. They're up 35 to 14 with 12 minutes left in the fourth against the Dolphins. 20 to 3 against the Bills at halftime. 20 to 10 against the Giants with six minutes left in the fourth. And 19 to 10 against the Raven the Jaguars with six minutes left. So they could really be looking at us not at what? A 11 and 0 record right now if they could just hold a lead. And the Broncos, we already know why they're upset because their offense is just dog water. Their 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 offense is cancer. Like it is bad. It's really bad. They averaged 14 points a game. That's bad. If they scored 20 points, they'd have a flipped record, essentially, or 7-4 and four or something. I don't remember what we said last time. Browns-Texans, the game of the league. The Deshaun Watson Bowl. Deshaun Watson's back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> He's playing in this game. Starting quarterback, Jacoby Brissett era is done. Browns at 4-7, and seven, and the Texans at 1-9-1. Texans are trying super hard to get the number one overall pick. Don't know who they're drafting, because I saw something where it was Sean Payton on Colin Coward's show. And it was like they could draft like Will Anderson, the edge rusher from Alabama, and then like a receiver or tackle with their next pick, and then draft Caleb Williams next year. Like fill out their team and go with another year of Davis Mills because they know they're going to suck, and then get Caleb Williams, and then go forth. Maybe that happens. Or they go with Bryce Young. I don't know. I would. I like Bryce Young. I would like to see him go number one overall, but I don't think that that is out of the question. For the Browns, paid a lot of money, gave up a lot of picks. For Sean Watson, your seven-point favorite in this game. And yeah, it's going to be a hostile environment. Apparently, 10 of the uh, accusers, I guess you could call them, are going to be at this game. So that'll make things a little bit more interesting. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Deshaun will be playing in this game. Uh, Seahawks and Rams, the flipped record bowl. I thought the Rams would be a little bit better than 6-5. and five, But uh, yeah, uh, the Seahawks were expected to be 3-8, and eight, not the freaking Rams. That, that's, that's a little bit off. The Dolphins in Niners, the Mike McDaniel Bowl. Obviously, he was the offensive coordinator for the Niners. Now he's the head coach of the Dolphins. Makes sense. You have um, Wills, Jeff Wilson at running back. You have Raheem Mostert. They have a lot of former Niner players on this team. So, yeah, the Mike McDaniel Bowl. Bengals and Chiefs, the AFC Championship rematch bowl, where the Bengals won in overtime. Awesome game. Awesome game. My dad wanted the Chiefs to win. This is the only time he's ever cheered for the Chiefs because he didn't want Joe Burrow to go to the Super Bowl before Josh Allen, and that's fair. That's fair. But I like seeing Joe Burrow in the Super Bowl above the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think Jamar Chase is going to be back. So that's awesome for my fantasy team. And then Colts, Cowboys, Sunday Night Football. The why the hell do we have to watch the Colts on back-to-back primetime games bowl? Goddamn, I don't want to watch this game. 
But I will watch this game, but I don't want to watch this game. Cowboys are 10.5-point favorites against the Indianapolis Colts. Then we got the Saints-Bucks. Man, I remember when Bart Scott said Jameis Winston was an MVP candidate. He's not even the starting quarterback for the Saints anymore. Like I, I need Alvin Kamara to play well. I is this the division lead? No, the the Saints have one more loss. Bucks will only have seven. The Saints have eight still if they even win. Ah, uh, yuck. Um, Tom Brady can't beat the Saints for some reason. Don't know why that is. So I guess the the Aints Bowl. I have no idea. It's a boring ass game. I, Monday Night Football. What's next week's Monday Night Football game? Make it a little bit more interesting, please. Cardinals, Patriots, yuck. What's week 15? Monday Night Football. Packers, oh, God. Before the season started, everybody would be pumped up for that game. Good Lord, we could see Brian, we could be, we could see Bryce Love taking on Bryce Perkins in that game. Oh, my God. On a Monday Night Football game. Then we've got, we got Christmas Day. That's a little bit different. Then we got week 17. Bill, oh, Bills Bengals, that'd be fun. That'll be fun. Week 18, last Monday Night Football game of the year. Oh, we don't have any Monday Night Football games. I forgot about that. Every game's played on Sunday that week. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna, Bills Patriots, though. Uh, Bills Patriots. I'm excited for Bills Patriots. It's just gonna be, I'm just super excited for that game. It, there's some There's some good matchups. I'm excited to see what happens in the, in the Deshaun Watson Bowl. That's, uh, that's obviously going to be a very interesting one as well. Now, switching gears a little bit to, uh, to some college football. Some college football should be a – it's a fun weekend. It's a really fun weekend. They've announced some awards, like finalists and stuff like that this weekend. we got Conference Championship weekend, which, again, I'm so excited that I was not in the Conference Championship this weekend. Oh, my God, it's so nice. It's so nice that Iowa is not in this. I didn't need to watch them against Michigan. I, I know they came close against Michigan this year. I know it was close. I know Iowa didn't play horrifically in that game, but I just – I didn't need it. So Purdue can have them. Purdue can go in against Michigan and have fun there. But there's some really fun games this weekend in Conference Championship weekend. So we got Friday. This is for the bigger games. We got Utah taking on USC. USC is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. We got Kansas State taking on TCU. TCU is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. LSU in Georgia. Georgia's a 17-and-a-half-point favorite. We got UCF taking on Tulane. Tulane's a four-point favorite. Michigan-Purdue. Michigan's a 17-point favorite. And then North Carolina taking on Clemson. Clemson is a seven-and-a—wait, what was that? Yeah, okay, seven and a half point favorite in that game. And then we also got some other games. We've got Buffalo taking on Akron. Buffalo's 11 point favorite. We got North Texas taking on UTSA. UTSA is a half point favorite. We got Toledo taking on Ohio. Three, eight. They are a three point favorite. Toledo are. Then we got a barn burner. We got uh, Valparaiso taking on New Mexico State. <laughs> no line there. We've got Coastal Carolina versus Troy. Troy's an eight and a half point favorite in the Sun Belt Championship. We got Boise State and Fresno State. Boise is a three point favorite in the Mountain West Championship. And that's it. That's your conference championship week. And if you notice this, if you notice this, there is not a single quarterback in last week's rankings that is in this week's that is in this conference championship weekend. Not one. So we have a very boring blog post next week, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But before that, college football playoff prediction. I just want to stay how it is. They announced today that they're expanding to 12, which I think is good. They need to expand to 12. I think that's more. I think it's fair. Have all conference championships go, championship teams go in, top four teams get a bye week, all that stuff. Great. Opening round games go to the home stadium of the of the higher seed. Like, love it. Love it. But for this playoff, they only got four for now, and it just needs to stay how it is. Because I, I think it would be hilarious 
I'm all I'm all for chaos. I mean, I can be an agent of chaos at times. So I am kind of for the likes of Bama and Ohio State making it if TCU and USC lose this weekend. I think it'd be hilarious to see Twitter absolutely implode. So we had a Final Four of Georgia, Bama, U, uh, Michigan, and Ohio State. Now, hypothetically, let's say Georgia loses to LSU and Michigan loses to Purdue. What the hell happens then? What kind of playoff system are we talking here? If all four teams in the playoff lose, it's unlikely, but it can happen. This is, a fo- this is football. Anybody can beat anybody. Like, hell, <laughs> we saw South Carolina take it to Tennessee. And we saw that same Tennessee ass blast LSU early in the season. Like, we just saw Michigan blow out Ohio State. But Purdue... They're 3-0 against top two teams in the country under Brom. So, they can happen. So, there is a reality where all four teams lose, and we see a hypothetical college football playoff that features Ohio State and Alabama, a two-loss Bama that I don't think is very good outside of their quarterback and Will Anderson and Jameer Gibbs. Apart from those three, that's it. That team's not very good. Henry Toa Toa is fine on defense. They got nice pieces in the secondary, I guess. Offensively, nothing special. And you've seen that a lot this season. They've had a lot of close games that normally they would absolutely rip the door off the other team. And it just hasn't been there this year. Two losses to LSU and Tennessee. LSU lost to Texas A&M last weekend. Tennessee lost to South Carolina and Georgia. Those losses are worse, make Alabama's strength of schedule worse. Their two losses worse because they lost to two unranked teams. Actually, is South Carolina ranked? Did South Carolina squeak in the rankings? They did. They're at 19th now. Okay, I guess. They got a 19th rated team in there. But AM's not receiving votes, and rightfully so, because AM is absolutely trash. But yeah, it is uh it's fun. And I'm I'm really looking forward to this weekend. I think all four teams that are in the top four right now will win and just keep everything simple. I think uh, Final Four of Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC is awesome. The idea of Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison going up against Georgia's defense is really exciting to me. And then TCU and Michigan, this is a very fun matchup. Two very mobile quarterbacks. I'm excited. I'd be really excited to watch that matchup as well. And I want to see Max Duggan in the college football playoff. We got to see the Iowans, at least one Iowan in the college football playoff. There might be one for Michigan, Georgia, or USC, but I just don't know who they are. But yeah, I oh, it'd be funny to see all those teams lose. It would be really funny. It would be funny to see Georgia lose to LSU, Michigan to Purdue, TCU to Kansas State, and USC to Utah because the teams they'd lose to don't have a shot at making it. The highest-rated team out of the teams they're playing out of those four teams is Kansas State at number 10. Kansas State's 10, Utah's 12, LSU's 14, Purdue not even ranked. So you can't even sit there logically and go, oh, if LSU beats Georgia, they're in the playoff now. No, that's not how this works. That's not how this works at all. So get ready for chaos to ensue if this hypothetical situation happens. Now, if that were to happen, I would not be shocked if Georgia and Michigan stayed in. Well, Michigan probably not, but Georgia would be staying in. Because Michigan loses to an unranked team when they're favored by 17. Georgia's at least losing to a ranked team who beat Alabama. So, like, they, yes, they lost to South Carolina. Yes, they lost to A&M. Yes, they lost to Florida State. But they're a solid enough team. They're a solid team. LSU's fine. It's Lost at the wrong time. Because I could have seen a reality where LSU made the playoff. If they did not lose to freaking Texas A&M. Out of all teams, you lose to Texas A&M. Ridiculous. But again, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC is damn near perfect. I'm all for that. 
So just make sure that stays the same. But if not, I want all of them to lose. If that if one of them loses, all of them have to lose. So I don't know what the first game is. So USC Utah's on Friday. I know that one. So if USC loses to Utah, Kansas State, you have to beat TCU. LSU you have to beat Georgia. Purdue, you have to beat Michigan. And they're all back to back to back. Like that. So you it has to all transpire like this. So if if USC loses, I don't want USC to lose. I want to see Caleb Williams go to the college world playoff and then he'll win the Heisman and stuff like that. But uh but yeah, it's it's fun. The playoff is fun. I don't know what boy there are some rumors about Iowa going to like the Music City Bowl. So we'll see if that happens. Uh just a nice little preview for Cade McNamara when uh <laughs> when he ends up being an Iowa Hawkeye next year and leads the Hawkeyes to a Big Ten championship win over I don't know, probably Michigan. I don't know who Ohio State's quarterback's gonna be next year. Should I? I don't know. Let's look at Ohio State's roster. So maybe I can uh, look at that. Or maybe they'll get a transfer in or something. Who will be Ohio State's starting quarterback next year? Kyle McCord? Is Kyle McCord set to be Ohio State starter next year? He's a sophomore, 6'3", 222. He's played some games this year. He played against his most recent game against Indiana on, the no- on November 12th. Yeah, there's not a lot of options here. I don't know if Kyle McCord is going to be the guy or not. So maybe they do go in the transfer portal. They got Justin Fields on the transfer portal. Maybe they hit that again. I don't know who's going to be transferred. Maybe they steal Cade McNamara, but he's going to Iowa. Remember that. He's going to Iowa. Oh, man. But uh, with that being said, we talked about no quarterbacks in the rankings or playing their conference championships at the beginning. There's a lot of good quarterbacks in college football this year. This draft's got a very, very uh, deep class in regards to the quarterback position. So there might be like 11 or 12 quarterbacks that get drafted this year. And I wouldn't honestly be too shocked by that. But for this week's edition, we only have 10, <laughs> as we have throughout. And there's really not a lot of changes in this list. So like number one, Bryce Young, two, C.J. Stroud. I want to start with three, Anthony Richardson, because this game is is frustrating to me because this is the game Anthony Richardson said he, he basically guaranteed when we win this game, it's going to start a big thing of momentum for us or something like that. You cannot go into a game like that. I understand where Richardson's coming from, trying to motivate your team, but you can't add, you can't stoke the fire of Florida State, especially when you're coming off a loss to, uh, who they just lose to? This loss to somebody. I don't remember who they lost to. Who did they lose to the week before Florida State? Someone they shouldn't have lost to. Oh, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Like, you can't come into the game of a loss to Vanderbilt and they go, oh, we're going to beat Florida State with Jordan Travis and Jared Verse and all these different players and go, oh, yeah, we're going to beat them and then lose. This is kind of, and I, I allude to this in my, uh, in my prediction, in my synopsis thing of Richardson. It's kind of like taking a Penanka penalty. For those of you who don't know, it's where you chip the ball right down the middle when you're taking a penalty. Very ballsy. If it works, oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. You made a, made a Panenka penalty. And you miss it, you look like a freaking idiot. Why'd you do that? Like, if you predict you're going to win, you have to win. If you're going to Panenka penalty, you have to you have to score. Because if not, you just look like a dickhead. And I'm not saying Richardson is a dickhead. I understand that you're on a Florida team that's not very good. You have a talent, you have talent, but you're young, you're inexperienced, your O-line's not great. You have Osiris Torrance, who's really good at guard, but that's about it. You have Etienne at running back, pure salt receiver, they have a couple other options there, but not a ton. And you're going against a game against Florida State, and you play well. You play well. Now, Richardson did not complete a high percent of his pass. He went 9 of 27 in this game, like 30-some percent, 33%. Not great. But on some of his throws, especially early on, looked really good. 
Looked really, really good. His throw to Ricky Pearsall in the second drive of the game, one play, 52-yard touchdown to Pearsall. Led him beautifully down the near sideline. Absolutely beautiful. He was at Pearsall had about five yards between him and the next defender, but Richardson's ability to just stand tall in the pile, this is key. Pearsall might have been open, but as a quarterback, especially one that's going to be going to the next level, as many people have speculated that Richardson's going to the NFL draft this year, to stand tall in the pocket and know you're going to get drilled and still deliver a dime is key. Because when you have a receiver that open, where he's got five yards of separation between himself and the defender, you cannot overthrow him. Because when you got a receiver open, you got to allow him to work back to the ball. He can't speed up. Once he's reached top speed, he can't speed up anymore. But Richardson threw a beautiful ball. Beautiful ball. He threw a ball to Pearsall again later in the game for a touchdown on a skinny post right up the seam on a dart. On a freaking line. It was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I beat the outstretched arm of the Florida State defender. Everything. It was a perfect, perfect, perfect throw. And he had some other throws that he missed. He had a throw to Pouncey later in the game or right before halftime that he missed. But he got hit a lot. And he saw the athletic ability in there as well. Picked up a big first down on third and eight before he got called back for a holding call. But he picked up some big game. Got 15 yards on the third and eight earlier in the game. Or third and seven. I don't remember what it was. And carried a whole pile for his state defenders like seven, eight yards down the field. Like, Richardson, his ability is clearly there. It's clearly there. It's just a matter of, can he put it all freaking together? That's the key. Can he put it all together? In a game against Florida State, you saw all the tools there. He had over 240 yards of total, or 230 yards total offense. Just under 240, at 239 yards total offense. Had three touchdowns. Interception was bad. He, he rolled out slightly to the left after pressure came from his backside, like reversed out, rolled to the left, sidearmed it, tried to get to his tight end, and just bad throw. Terrible throw. Easy interception. It, it, like the, the tight end pretty much looked like a tackler on the play. He looked like the defender. He was behind the ball. The throw was to the Florida State defender pretty much. Not a great, not a great decision. He just needs to cut that out from his game, and he'll be fine. He needs to sit for like a year or two, and then we could see a really, really, really good quarterback. I just hope he goes to a team that has a good foundation. I don't want him to go to a team that's a freaking mess, like going to the Jaguars last year. I think Trevor Lawrence was mature enough, had played enough football to not let it completely destroy him. Like Trevor Lawrence played really well last week against the Ravens. He's having a very solid season this year under Doug Peterson. He didn't let last season destroy him, but a quarterback like Richardson who is inexperienced, really raw, cannot go into a situation where you're coached by a guy like Urban Meyer. Maybe that worked in college. In the NFL, it's not going to cut it. NFL, you're professionals. You ain't getting treated like that in the NFL. So I need it. I want him to go to a situation that will help him blossom into the player that we know it could be, like going to Brian Dable in New York with the Giants. Like, Daniel Jones, I... I think Daniel Jones is fine. I've defended Daniel Jones countless times in the show. I said he's got the potential to be a solid quarterback at the NFL. He's got all the skills said to be a solid quarterback at the NFL. It's just not coming together for him in the NFL. But going to a situation like that where there's a firm foundation, where there's a guy that's starting, that's a captain, like, he's got to have something like that. Like, it almost, like, sometimes it works. Like, Josh Allen got thrown in with Nathan Peterman and A.J. McCarron. And sometimes that works out. Josh Allen's developed into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But it took time. Josh Allen wasn't the best quarterback. We saw in rookie year, it was like, oh, you see that there. But it's not all coming together. It's what like watching Richardson at Florida is like. Is you see it, 
but it's not all consistent. Like Richardson's got a highlight tape mile long, but then you look at the, some of the intermediate throws and some of the like decision making. It's not like all there. I just wanted to go somewhere that could be make him help help him get all there. Number four, Will Levis, good game against uh, Louisville. Didn't have the same game that he had last year, but hey, two 188 yards passing, two touchdowns, no picks. Like that's what you want. And a nice win. A double-digit win over a top 25 team. That's good. I like that. Uh, Hayden Hooker didn't play, obviously, towards ACL, but Van- Louis- uh, geez, Tennessee did end up winning 56-0-nothing. But yeah, sucks for Hayden Hooker. I just hope he's, his draft stock's not completely plummeted by him tearing his ACL, which it probably is, but I don't want to see that happen for him. Jaron Hall didn't need to do a whole lot in this game. He had 11 passing attempts in this game. Two touchdowns passing, 93 yards passing. Ran the ball. He's been running the ball a lot more. Recently, a lot more effectively, which is nice. He had 11 carries. The same number of pass attempts as he had rush attempts. And at 69 yards rushing, LOL, with a touchdown. So he had three total touchdowns, no turnovers, had a double-digit win, or a nine-point win over Stanford, sorry, on the road. Utah, or BYU, what, is 6-6? Six 6-6 and f- six? Six and six or 7-5? and five? I don't remember exactly what their record is. Hold on. 7-5, and 7-5. They, they could be better than that. But they had that weird-ass stretch where they lost four straight games and blew, like, the lead in every single game. They had some – they could be better than this. They could be better. They probably should be better than this. I don't think they should have lost to Notre Dame. I don't think they should have lost as bad to Liberty. And I don't – they they sucked against Arkansas later in the game. But – uh, and then East Carolina. I don't know how to explain the East Carolina one. But, yeah, he's running the ball good, and I like it. Uh, Bo Nix, Oregon, this game was – I didn't watch this game. I went to Black Panther Wakanda forever with my cousin and my aunt. But uh, from what my dad said, uh, Oregon were up big and then ended up losing the game 38-34. And Oregon, when I watched, I watched till halftime of this game. And it was kind of back and forth at that point. But Oregon, I don't know. It, I thought Oregon was still going to pull it out. And then when I heard they had a double-digit lead and then ended up choking it away. And Bo Nix played well, but you can tell he's not healthy. You can tell he's still not healthy from his ankle injury they got against Washington. But he still played well, 327 yards, two touchdowns. Didn't run the ball particularly well, again, because he's not healthy. But, yeah, that was a rough loss. I wanted to see Oregon win that game. Uh, not great. I I don't know how I feel about Oregon's uniforms. Oregon State's uniforms are bad, though. I don't I don't like those ones. Michael Penix, uh, he's at number eight, moving up two spots. Very good game. Very good game. Had five touchdowns in this game total, two rushing touchdowns. Well, it was kind of like a receiving behind the line of scrimmage pass. Like, I don't know. It was classified as a rushing touchdown. You would kind of classify as a receiving touchdown. I don't know. But he had two touchdowns rushing at three touchdowns passing. Damn near had 500 yards passing. 15 yards size of the 500 mark. 485 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. Finished with 4,300 yards, 29 touchdowns, seven picks on the season. Very good game. 51-33 to 33 win over Washington State. It took them a little bit to get going in this game. But once they got going, oh, they got going. Oh, they got going in this game once they got going. It was fun. Stanford, Tanner McKee. Uh, David Shaw stepped down of this game. Tanner McKee had a very solid game. Three, uh, 31 for 40, 315, or 313. Touchdown, no turnovers. Loss, but that's kind of been Stanford's thing this year. They've kind of been known for that, is losing. <laughs> but Tanner McKee probably had his best game of the year, honestly. Probably his best game of the year is this past weekend. And number 10, uh, Jane Daniels. He didn't play great. Didn't play particularly horrific. But you lose by double digits to Texas A&M. The week before you're playing Georgia, that's not great. It was by what? Quick math, fifteen points to A and M at home. 
Daniels had a nice game again, at like 181, 189 yards passing, 84 touchdowns, but no, or 84, 84 touchdowns, 84 yards rushing, but no touchdowns in the game. It's kind of been a theme of Jane Daniels throughout his college career, where he's had games like this, where he's had like good passing numbers, good rushing numbers, but then no touchdowns. You saw that as a, lot, a lot his last year at Arizona State, where he just couldn't find the end zone, and that's what happened this week against A and M. Yeah, just not, not great, not great. So that's your top ten. For you, there's not really a whole lot to go in depth on apart from Anthony Richardson because his uh, like nine for twenty-seven. I gotta at least explain that a little bit. But other than that, there's not really like insane performances. There's not really like like Young against Auburn was really good. He had a really bad interception where he kind of like it was kind of weird, like a half back foot leaning back throw. Owen Papo <laughs> jumped it. It was really bad interception, but his touchdowns were really nice. One of them was a screen pass to. Um, Trayson Holden, I think it was. Number 11, I can't remember if it's Trayson Holden or not. I believe it's Trayson Holden. But, uh, yeah, three touchdowns for him. Stroud looked good in the first half. Too bad the game's not two half or too bad the game's two halves. Threw two bad interceptions. They're not bad. The, the second one well went through the hands of Kate Stover. First one, what happened on the first one? I'm trying to remember what happened. Oh, he, like, he was stepping up in the pocket, like, got tripped up and tried to lob it to his running back, and then it, like, underhand tossed it to the running back. And it got jumped by the defender and picked off. But, yeah, this first half and second half are two completely stories for Stroud and Ohio State in this game. Uh, Two touchdowns, no turnovers in the first half. Ended up with no touchdowns, two interceptions in the second half. While also getting beat 28-3 in the second half. That's not great. Losing 45-23. Like, this is a team that I thought was on a spearheaded course for a national championship appearance. And, uh, yeah, that did not happen. They got absolutely ass-blasted worse this year than what they did last year by Michigan. It was crazy. But, uh, yeah, I think that's all I've got for you today on this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I do hope you enjoyed the show. I'm trying to see if I have anything else. Oh, tr- uh, Trent Dilfer is getting hired at UAB. Apparently, Deion Sanders looking at Colorado and a few other schools there. Um, and then this is the key thing. So Chris Pulisic obviously had a pelvic contusion, so he did not get hit in the balls in the game against Iran or Iran. But uh, in the in a totally real quote, Chris Pulisic said, "After the goal, I got hit hard in the coin purse. While they were checking me out, I pissed red, white, and blue. I looked at I looked at the trainer's nest, USA, and they said no internal bleeding, and that's when they rushed me to the hospital. Completely real quote, completely real quote from Chris Pulisic. But I'm just excited for Saturday." Again, I think the United States can win. I think they can win. I'm not going to sit here and act like um, I they they should win. They're going to win. It's all that stuff. No, I I think they can. I'm predicting them too, but I'm not going to be like shocked if they lose because the Netherlands are a very solid team. So, with all that being said, I hope you guys watch the game again. The game's at nine o'clock on Saturday on Fox. So make sure you tune into that game. Argentina and Australia are on after that, and then we've got games on Sunday and Monday as well. So make sure you stay tuned for all of those ones. Make sure you watch Conference Championship Weekend. Hope you enjoyed the Bills-Patriots game. At least I hope I do. And with that being said, I will see you all later. Peace.